the first reading that we heard today from the prophet Isaiah spoke of darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples. This is not some, uh, Isaiah is not making some kind of physiological statement about some kind of cloud cover or darkness that was abnormal, but he's referring to a spiritual darkness and clouds that cover the peoples, a cloud of confusion, a cloud of unknowing, and yet God's light, he says, shines on the people, and they become, as it were, a beacon for the other nations. That darkness and that cloud cover that Isaiah speaks about is certainly seen in our gospel then. When the three wise men arise from, or arrive from the, the east, they should be greeted. They should be welcomed. They're bringing news about the Messiah that's supposed to come, that they've seen his star. And yet the response is one of turmoil in the city of Jerusalem. So ironically, Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the city of light, at this point is a city that is thrown into confusion. Jerusalem is light for those three wise men, while the people themselves are in darkness. Herod seeks to play both parties. He probably doesn't allow the wise men to speak fully or freely with the high priests and the scholars of the law. But he gets from them the information they have, then he goes to them and he's scared. In a certain sense, he believes perhaps more than the priests, the scholars, that the Messiah might be there. Yet he thinks that he can eliminate him. There's a darkness, a deep darkness in his heart. Like the darkness and the cloud cover that Isaiah speaks about and that we see at Jesus' manifestation to the kings, in our own day we experience in society and over the nations a darkness, a cloud cover. We can say, what can I do? There's so much out there that's wrong. We can allow the confusion to enter into our souls as well and to weigh us down. How many times do we go away from having read a news article or seen something on television and we feel that a certain spirit of kind of heaviness has, has entered into us? And yet what we have to remember that is in this very context of the, the darkness in the first century, that's when Christ is manifested. The epiphany means a manifestation of divinity. And those three men who came from the east to worship the Lord, they had a great light in their souls. Think about the faith or the precursor to faith that had to be there. They see this great star, but it's not like anything else they've seen. In fact, it disappears when they, it seems to disappear from the account when they get to Jerusalem. 
but reappears as they are headed on their way to Bethlehem. Even in that, we can see God's hand at work, that God wanted the birth of his son, the arrival of the Messiah, to be proclaimed by these foreigners to the very people who should have been aware of it. The Jews in Jerusalem. They're overjoyed at seeing the star. The count tells us that they enter the house. Presumably, this is sometime after our Lord's own birth, based on a couple things, that the house is not the same thing as the cave or the manger, the, the stable that the shepherds enter, and also that Herod, when he, um, based on the wise men's calculations, when they had seen the star, when they had begun, he kills the children who are two years old and under in Bethlehem. So this could be as much as a year and a half or two years later. It would make sense that Joseph and Mary would settle down in Bethlehem, the city of David. They open their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, representing his divinity, the frankincense, gold, his kingship, and myrrh, that he is human and will have to die the cross. The fact that myrrh appears here in this account, but not in the prophet Isaiah whom we heard, also shows that Matthew is not just trying to put, as it were, glove in hand the two stories together. In other words, he's not making this up. Remember in the, in the reading we heard, caravans of camels shall fill you, Dromedaries from Midian in Ephraim, all from Sheba shall come, bearing gold and frankincense. Myrrh is not mentioned there in the prophet Isaiah. This is actually a, a, a confirmation that the gospel is not just trying to um, create a type, a watertight argument. In other words, the prophet is seen as being fulfilled in Christ. But Christ is not just a retelling of what Isaiah said. But back to that darkness and light. What do we do? Yes, there is great darkness. Yes, the gospel message is often rejected in our world. People don't live by it. But yet we are called to come like those three wise men to the house of God. We enter the church, and there we are to lay our gifts. Yes, not physical gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we're to lay the, the gift of our heart. We're to empty our heart first of that, of that mist. To allow Christ to drive it out so that he can fill it with light. The early church had a, a moment where it seemed that the, the cloud cover would destroy it, that the mist would obscure its message. How the Christians of the early church could have given up in face of the Roman persecutions. 
They could have said, what's the use of proclaiming Christ? We'll be stamped out. And yet, their conviction, their faith, their love of Christ was stronger than that darkness. The problem for us is that we're compromised. Sometimes we love on an equal pedestal with Christ the world. And we try to make an alliance or we try to be diplomatic with Christ and the world. But that doesn't work. No one can serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other or hate one or serve one and and despise the other. Jesus tells us you cannot serve God and the world. You cannot serve God and man. And so the three wise men who had the wealth, the knowledge, the good things of this earth, they were from a very wealthy and prestigious class. They laid all of that aside in order to go after the one treasure, Christ. Even to be, in a certain sense, despised or made fun of. Maybe their friends back home would not have understood their journey. Certainly, they weren't understood by Herod in the way that they wanted to be or by the people of Jerusalem. They, of course, ran the risk of what if we get to the end of our journey and there is nothing? They don't find Christ in a rich palace. They find him in the humble dwelling of a home, not surrounded by amenities that would be due to any earthly king. And yet, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, fills them with a faith, and they're able to see in this little child the Savior of the world. They prostrate themselves and do him homage, symbolizing the pride of the world humbling itself before God. Being warned then, they don't return to Herod. But we who have the gospel, we so often take it for granted. We want to give God what he's deserved, but we so often allow the goods and the comforts of this life to make us lax. And this is where the darkness, the mist, the cloud cover enters our own souls. We have to be willing to give up everything for Christ, everything, in order to follow Him rightly. Jesus comes to claim all of our hearts, not just 50% or 80%. The kings or the wise men got this. Where have we forgotten it? Finally, it's traditional on this day to announce the feast for the coming year, the movable feast. I didn't have time to look at all of them, uh, but I would encourage you all, of course, Easter is on April 1st, April Fool's Day. Uh, 
Ash Wednesday is on uh, is in February with uh, Valentine's Day. But the other feasts too, it'd be good to sit down here at the beginning of this year, look at them, especially the holy days of obligation. Write them in our calendar. Make that, that point to live the feasts of the year, to relive the, the life of Christ in our, own, in our own hearts. To realize that every time we come to the church, we are invited with the wise men, with all the Gentiles, with all the peoples of the earth, to enter into the house of God, to do him homage, to make sure that he is first in our hearts and in our lives.